Hi, my name is Fritzi Horstman, and welcome to Compassion in Action. My guest today is formerly incarcerated Jonathan Jones, who works for the M.K. Gandhi Institute for Nonviolence in Rochester, New York, as a community trainer. He has worked with Arun Gandhi, Gandhi's grandson, bringing the season of nonviolence and the 64 days of nonviolence to prisons in New York State. His vision is to reach back and teach people nonviolence as a philosophy for change in the community and prison. He facilitates various workshops, communication for change, de-escalation, getting bystanders involved, Kingian nonviolence, conversation for difficult times, and book groups. He is a season for violence organizer. Jonathan Jones, welcome to Compassion in Action. I'm so excited to have you on our podcast to discuss your work with the Gandhi Institute and the work you do in prisons. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I want to talk about the TED Talk you did with Arun Gandhi, Gandhi's grandson. And one of the things you say, you say, yes, that's right. I learned nonviolence in prison. And so could you take us on your journey from being, you know, arrested for violence, presumably, and your journey from violence to nonviolence? Yes, uh, I was arrested for violence. uh, And I spent 31 years incarcerated from the age of 17 to 48. And uh, throughout uh, my prison incarceration, I took a lot of programs, a lot of mandated programs, a lot of volunteer programs. And none of the programs that I was mandated to take or programs that I voluntarily took ever talked about nonviolence. And so around in the uh, 2000s, the early 2000s, Uh, I was involved in this program called AVP, the Alternative to Violence Project. And one of the volunteers that used to come into the jail I was incarcerated in uh, worked for the MK Gandhi Institute for Nonviolence in Rochester, New York. And she first told me about the season for nonviolence. And then that right there made me begin to think about, man, you know what, this nonviolence thing, what is this about? And through my uh, brief uh, education and learned of Martin Luther King Jr., I heard of the word nonviolence, but I didn't know the depth of it. I didn't know what nonviolence entails. So then when I began to look at uh, the season for nonviolence, and uh, I immediately was struck uh, by what nonviolence stood for and how I could use nonviolence to like change my life around, to turn my life around. I used to always say to myself, nonviolence is a dignified way to stop doing violent behavior. And that's why I got involved in like living and practicing and uh, educating myself and others in nonviolence. Wow, so your your journey of nonviolence. Before I this podcast this morning, I was looking at um, my passive violence, which is what Arun Gandhi talks about. Yes. There's the physical violence that we all understand. We all know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, rape, murder, um, spanking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, or or I would say even um, 
even emotional violence is a is a, it's not physical but it's it's an overt form of violence right we that's not passive that's also a form of of violence um that's palpable yes, but the passive violence so the the thing that i'm learning just diving into this is this is this is a real this is accountability in a different in a different way of looking at it mm-hmm. going through your own you know, habits of violence that you don't even think of of as being violent. So how do you unpack you? I'll I'll tell you mine, some of my uh, passive violence. Um, I wrote this whole list of my 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 violence, my physical violence acts and my passive violence. Um, my need to control my manipulation, my betrayal of self and others. Um, uh, I was a bully at some point in my life. Um, I terror terrorized people sometimes. I mean, I don't even know if that's passive violence, but just these things, um, you know, throwing away food. Um, yes, that's right. Um, you know, leaving something behind, knowing someone else has to pick it up, right? Mm-hmm. Littering, you know, all these things I used to do, or, um, you know, just, being snarky, being, mm-hmm. being cruel, um, you know, just holding it back, but, 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 but putting it out. So what, what are the things of, I mean, so you had to come to terms with all of your levels of violence as well, just like I'm doing. So can you explain your process and what you came up with? Yes. Uh, that right there is uh, a very deep question. And I first was introduced to passive and physical uh, violence. Well, I knew about physical violence, but the whole uh, passive violence I learned from Arun Gandhi. And Arun Gandhi used to always stress that passive violence unchecked leads to physical violence. And so passive violence for me was like lying, uh, uh, being manipulative, uh, uh, trying to control situations, trying to control people. Uh, I like the way you talked about like littering and uh, waste because that right there is other forms of like uh, passive violence that you may not think anything of, but if you just continuously do things like that, a room used to always uh, uh, teach me and others that you know what that could lead to other forms of uh, violence, physical violence. So yes, I had to begin to first of all recognize and uh, uh, and become accountable to myself that I do do a lot of uh, passive violence that I don't think anything of because I'm only uh, associating uh, violent behavior with physical. So if I'm not hitting anybody or slapping or punching anybody, then I'm not really being violent. But no, you are being violent when you're lying to people. You are being uh, violent when you're trying to manipulate and control and uh, waste, because who are you hurting when you're just wasting things and just littering and things like that? The environment that you live in and then others, like you just pointed out, that have to come behind you and pick those things up. So, yeah, there's other. uh, And I believe that when I began to recognize the uh, passive violence in myself and began to check those things and to talk about those things and to hold myself accountable to those things, and then I noticed that the physical violence then was something that I was uh, less willing to do. I mean, I didn't feel triggered when I found myself in like uh, intense situations where in the past I might have resorted to physical violence. But now that I began to check the passive violence, 
uh, uh, within myself when I was in these same situation, like months and years later, I was able to better uh, handle myself and not respond in a physical violent way. Um, and you, you mentioned um, an, in, an interaction with someone that you, when you were driving in the, in the Ted talk, yes. can, can you tell that story just because some of our listeners may not have access to that Ted talk? Yes. So I was uh, working for a cleaning company. So I was driving a cleaning van. And so I was uh, pulling out of a McDonald's uh, uh, parking lot after uh, getting something to uh, eat. And what I found out later on is somebody uh, uh, believed that I cut them off. So I'm driving. So I'm looking in my uh, uh, side view mirror and the car zips around me and then comes in front of me. And then the car slows down and then the car stops and I uh, uh, rear end the uh, person. And mm. then the car speeds up and pulls over into a, a parking lot. Now, my immediately thought was like, well, this isn't my vehicle. It's the cleaning uh, van. Uh, it's the company's vehicle. So I just kept on driving. I did that. So I just kept on driving. I was like, yeah, well, you shouldn't have stopped in front of me. And so the car, I didn't know at first, but the car began to follow me. So when I got to my cleaning site, I look out the window. I said, oh, man, the car followed me. And so rather than like stay in my car, because at this time I had already begun to uh, 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 practice uh, nonviolent, began to live nonviolence and began to be more aware of the passive violence that I'd be doing. So I didn't want to stay in my car because one thing I learned about nonviolence is that uh, uh, courageous people are nonviolent. So I said, listen, I'm going to be crazy. I'm not going to stay in my car and just try to hide from the situation. So I got out the truck and was like, hey, you know, what's going on? And then the guy was like, listen, man, you just cut me off. You know, he was really like adamant and angry and like shouting at me about cutting him off. I said, you know what? I didn't think I did, man, but I apologize for cutting you off, man. That right there was my bad. And then he paused for a minute. It seemed like he didn't know how to respond to that because I guess he felt that I was going to like uh, 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 match his anger or match his intensity. I was like, you know, I didn't whisper it or anything like that, but I just let him know like, hey, you know what? I didn't know I cut you off. If I did, I apologize. My bad. He paused for a minute. He said, all right rolled his uh, window back up and just drove off. And then that was the end of the incident. And yeah, and it, you know, I just, I just, you know, got the cleaning supplies out the truck and went into the building and uh, cleaned. But, it, you know, I thought about it and it, and it kind of was like one of those things that uh, when I do acts like that, it just reminds me of like, you know what, man, uh, uh, celebrate that. I mean, you know, like, you know, because that's something that I might not have done in the past. So, I, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had celebrated the fact that, you know what, man, you handled that incident uh, uh, well, man. You didn't get into no situation or anything. Now, I also want to point out, too, is that when I bumped the back of his car, believe me, I didn't like wreck the back of his car. Because, you know, because once you, you know, began to like slow down, then I began to slow down. So then when he stopped, it was like, you know, like, it wasn't like I like smashed in his back. I, I doubt I even put a dent on it. It wasn't a, it wasn't even no uh dent on the truck anyway. So I mean it was like one of those things where 
hey, if I would have came off any other weight, it could have it could have got real bad. So like like that like that's such a huge um thing to 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 discuss because we are so riled up inside already, right? Most of us. And we're ready. We're ready for, you know, someone slights us. And mm -hmm. there's so many levels of somebody slighting us because it's also about respect, right? That's right. So you're disrespecting him. He feels like you've disrespected him by cutting him off. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a respect issue with you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's going to, I mean, in prison, respect is the big thing, right? Is the big deal. Yes, That's right. And so if you, you know, someone, you bump somebody in prison and it's seen as disrespect, big things can happen from that little moment. Mm -hmm. So, but let's say you were in prison and that happened. You say, my bad, man, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What if we all did that? What if we just decided we just it's like giving people the benefit of the doubt, which is what you gave that man that day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, I mean, it's, uh, when we don't do that, I believe that, you know, when we talk about passive violence and we, been, and we begin to recognize how some of the uh, conflict or some of the uh, incidents that we got into in our lives was a result of we could have probably done something earlier on that could have just changed or transformed the whole situation. So when we begin to look at things like that, you are right, just a bump into somebody, stepping on somebody's shoes or anything like that, just so you know what, I apologize, my bad, my fault. However way you want to explain to the person that, hey, I've done that, I want to recognize that I've done that. I didn't do it intentionally to harm you or anything like that. And uh, uh, I apologize for doing that. Do you accept my apology? Any way you want to just say that, I believe could begin to help diffuse the situation. And then maybe the other person, I mean, unless the other person's really bent on uh, doing you some type of like uh, uh, physical or emotional harm. I mean, some people tend to like, you know what? Okay. They accept that, then they begin to like move away from that. And then like it just helps like resolve a lot of conflict without it without it having to turn into uh, a physical violence situation. And I think what you did with that man, you gave him an a glimpse into his own nonviolence. Because yeah. he he woke up in that moment and said, you know what, I don't have to, I don't have to get all in his face. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you activated his nonviolence. And so, mm -hmm. you know, um, they say trauma is a virus that, you know, and it, it infects other people. Well, it looks like from what I'm seeing from this discussion that nonviolence could also be a virus. And what a great virus that would be or a pro yes. probiotic or something, something that really, you know, brings health and well-being to everybody who practices it. And I, and the other thing I just want to say, because I'm, I have so many questions for you, it's also it also has a ripple effect. So just the way violence has a ripple effect, peace and nonviolence and love also has a ripple effect. That is correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. Totally so, agree with that.
So at um, when you learned alternatives to violence, when you participated in that program, you're also a facilitator of that, right? That is correct. So what are some of the principles? I've never um, explored the alternatives to violence, but what are some of the principles of that? I, I want to learn all these principles because I think for people that are in prisons, there are prisons in the United States that don't have access to any of these programs. Mm. So we need to give them as much nonviolent uh, nutrition that we can today. And But I also, also for our listeners that are in the public, in, in the, civ the civilians, they, we also don't have this education as well. You know, I didn't know about nonviolence. I mean, I would hear about Gandhi here and there, you know, Martin Luther King. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't practice it. And I wouldn't know that I didn't even know it was a practice. So um, can you give us some, you know, maybe some big ideas of, of the nonviolent practices that you've been, been going, been learning about and teaching? All right, man, that's uh, I. Right, so it's a couple of things that you said there. And uh, uh, let me first uh, talk about the Alternative to Violence Project. That was something that was started in like uh, New York State in the 1970s by like the Quakers and some incarcerated men to deal with the violence that was happening in prison. And then that was around like uh, 1975. And then from there, it just spread to other uh, prisons in New York State. And one of the things, one of the foundational uh, principles and philosophies of uh, AVP, you know, we call it for short, is transforming powers. You could transform any uh, conflict situation that you find yourself in. You could uh, transform the shape of it by like we just uh, uh, said earlier, by just one way is just apologizing and just admitting that you've done something wrong with a simple like my bad or something could transform the outcome of any situation. And then another thing, it was about community building, because one thing that I've noticed when I was incarcerated is that I could be on a cell block or a dormitory with somebody for months and never say anything to them. Now we find ourselves in a three day workshop. Uh, and uh, we began to like talk to each other. We began to play games like they call like light and livelies. We get to know each other. And then after the three day workshop, we see each other uh, on the compound or in the dorm. We began to talk to each other. So it was like another way to like community build. So those were the two like uh, uh, main parts of the AVP program, transforming powers and uh, building community that I really took away from that. And then other like nonviolent practices is I keep on bringing up Arun Gandhi or the fifth grandson of Mahatma Gandhi because I spent a lot of time with him after I got released in 2015 when we started to go back into prisons. Me and me, him and uh, Ellen used to drive to these prisons. This would be like a 45 minute plus uh, drive to these prisons that we used to talk a lot in the car. And one thing he used to say about nonviolence is that nonviolence is philosophy for change. And he and he was like, listen, a person, uh, no, you don't have to be violent to start living and practicing uh, uh, nonviolence. But like nonviolence was like a way of life. Like, what are you doing about the violence that you think about? What are you doing about the violence in your heart? What are you doing about the violence that's around you? And so we used to talk a lot about that. You you begin to like uh, be the change. I mean, begin to like transform your uh, transform yourself. So I mean, one of the practices that I do is I meditate. 
Uh, I do yoga. Uh, and I'm and I'm constantly like uh, uh, reading, uh, uh, educating myself more. And some of the challenges uh, as I began to like deepen my understanding of uh, of uh, nonviolence was I had uh, began to learn about Kenyan nonviolence. That's like Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, codified philosophy and methodology of nonviolence the way he practiced it and lived it in the 1960s during the civil rights movement. So when I became in contact with that and began to learn his what his six principles were, one of the major things that struck me about his uh, uh, six principles is that you don't focus on the individual. You focus on the system that made it that may have created the individual, made the individual believe that his actions and his behaviors is all right. Because once mm -hmm. you change that, and once you begin to attack that system and break that system down, then you begin to learn that this individual then uh, uh, isn't isn't that bad. And I also <laughs> learned that just because you incarcerated doesn't mean you're a bad person. I begin to believe that all human beings are good. I mean, we done made a lot of bad decisions and we done hurt a, we done hurt a lot of people, but that does not mean that we're bad people. And so just like recognizing things like this within myself uh, uh, made it easier for me to begin to live and practice uh, nonviolence. But it had to stop with me just believing that I wasn't a bad person and uh, and I deserve a better life. Okay, I, I got to ask you about this system that this person, this is the key here, right? So the work I'm doing is all about childhood trauma and the mm -hmm. violence that young young men and women that are living in prison grew up with, the extent. Um, the amount of violence that they have grown up with is mm -hmm. way off the charts from what I've done. And even though I have a lot of violence in my life, had a lot of violence in my childhood, mm -hmm. it has nothing compared to the people that are in prison. So, so, but that is a system, right? Violence became a system that these children, the our children, you, yeah. me, we're both, we grew up in a violent system, a violent family system, which informed the way we acted in the world and the choices that we made. And then when you go to prison, you enter another violent system, right? So there's so there's all these systems that also need to learn about nonviolence. Um, mm -hmm. Family systems need to learn about nonviolence. Work right. work systems, you know, the violence we're doing with our, our food, with our, you know, to the animals, to the crops, to, you know, Monsanto, all those, all those things are also violent. So these systems of violence are, are imbued in, in all, a lot of the things that we go through in our lives. Um, mm -hmm our police systems, our judicial systems. So this, these, this act of nonviolence, it, it's, it's a systemic shift, right? That did, which Gandhi and Martin Luther King and mother Teresa and um, Cesar Chavez all espoused, right? Yes. 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 And one of the things about King was that, uh, we used to say that King was a systems thinker and he was able to like uh, look beyond the individual and just look at the systems that uh, create these individuals. And that isn't to say that the individual isn't accountable mm -hmm. or responsible for mm -hmm. their behavior because you still are. 
Yeah. But it's also uh, uh, recognizing that if we want to stop uh, this behavior from going forward in the future, then we need to do something about this system. And so you are right. So when you have uh, people, uh, uh, young people growing up in poverty, growing up uh, uh, where, you know, people in your household is telling you that, listen, man, you got to go out there and get yours. Don't let nobody punk you. You got to fight. If somebody hits you, you hit you back. It's like, yeah. So, if you, I mean, you, you're learning this stuff and you and then you realize that once you get into jail, because you might not have thought about it when you was younger growing up. But once you incarcerated, all this stuff become to just uh, come back to you because you have more time to just sit back and think about it. You begin to realize that if this is the results of uh, what I was being taught when I was younger, it's like, man, I don't, I don't like this outcome. I mean, man, is there another way? Then you may not know at that time it's another way because then now you're living in a violent environment where what you was, uh, what you was taught in the house or what you viewed in the street is like acceptable in prison in the sense that you need those same type of uh, thoughts and behaviors to like you believe to survive in prison. So it's hard to just turn away from that right away, especially when you first start an incarceration or a bid, we call it. Well, and what I've learned is, and this is after working with men and women in prison for the past four years, is that violence was a solution. Violence was the sol one of the solutions mm -hmm. for the people that are in prison. And um, I also just wanted to say that as far as systems go, Gandhi said, poverty is the worst form of violence. And poverty in itself is a system. And it, I believe it's a system that where people agree to um, un unconsciously, but it's a system that they agree to, which gets, um, I think, bolstered by violence. Because mm -hmm. when you're in a violent state, you're not in a creative state. Your yes, brain, not. you're not thinking creatively. You're not thinking, how can I get out of this situation? You're stuck in it and you're fighting for your life. Mm -hmm. At least your brain thinks you're fighting for your life. But what you're doing is you're adding more violence um, and and so we see gangs, you know, I've been diving into this um, this understanding about gangs and why young men gravitate towards gangs. Mm -hmm. And it's because they believe that this is all there is. Yes. And I don't know the solution, but oh my God, my heart breaks every time I walk into a prison and I see an 18-year-old young man sitting there taking my class. And... Mm -hmm. And this is this is the work that we as a society, I believe, have to do is start unpacking our own violence and our own permissiveness in allowing a violent society uh, to prevail. Uh, you know, our violence in in the way we vote, in the way we um, vote for congressmen and senators and and presidents that that espouse violence as a solution. That's right. No, I, I I like the way you talk about that. And what's that's triggering in me is that it's like that uh, we talk about or we've been conditioned to believe that violence brings about peace. That if you are, if you like, if you win the war, if you win the fight, then you could be at peace. But I mean, you ask any person that then, uh, uh, won the fist fight or anything like that. I mean, they thinking like, man, I got to look over my back because when is this person going to attack me again? 
or or and, and even if you done uh, uh unfortunately killed that person you wonder like man do they have any friends or family that's gonna attack me so i mean are you truly at peace or are you always worried about uh somebody's gonna attack you from behind so yeah this all this whole idea uh, uh that you'd be saying that violence is is the solution i mean we we begin to realize when you really really think about it is that violent really was is violent really the solution has it solved anything, honestly, in your life? Has violence actually solved anything? Because I know looking at my life, when I responded to situations in a violent way and I look back at them to date, uh, it's like, no, it didn't solve anything. It just created more problems for me, gave me more uh, uh, emotional pain and uh, trauma. And, and yes. some of that stuff still sticks with me today. I know. And, you know, that's when we start forgiving ourselves. We got to, we've got to, I just, um, I was thinking of a line you were talking about, you know, you hurt somebody and then you're constantly thinking about, are they going to retaliate? Mm -hmm. um, Tupac wrote a, he wrote in changes, this, mm -hmm. this song changes. He said, um, you know, a rough, a, a, I can't remember, really remember, but a rough that I, I roughed up way back, you know, I'm like, I'm, I have to, you know, I have to carry a gun because, because they're going to, I don't know if they're going to come get me. And so like, can we make a truce, you know, because, yes. you know, this is old tribal wars and what's going on in our streets in the United States is similar to what happened in Rwanda, the, Tuts mm -hmm. the Tutsis and the Hutus fighting each other, their relatives, you know, they, you know, they probably have the same DNA mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're, they're killing each other. And, that's what we're doing in, you know, in our, in these gangs, in the gangs that were, you know, all the gangs. Yes. Yes. And, but what I'm, I'm, tell me if I'm wrong, the rage is a feeling to overcome some of the shame and the poverty and the, and the disrespect that society has given to them. So that rage over, you know, makes you feel powerful finally. Mm -hmm. And allows for the violence. So, I mean, and so that's, I think that's the issue is how do we, un, how can we make people feel good about themselves? Mm. Yeah. And it, and, and it starts with the uh, individual and, and see, that's the hard part. And it reminds me a lot of uh, my understanding of uh, uh, the civil rights movement when I began to like study that and look, in, and look into it more. Now I remember uh, hearing about stories and examples of uh, some of the people going down to uh, some of the southern states in these small, like, rural areas and trying to talk to the people about, hey, this is your situation, man. Uh, you should do something about it. And the people like, no, everything is, no, everything is okay. And I believe that then they began to do another approach. See, you can't come from the outside to the inside and tell people that the way they're living isn't the right way. Because in their mind, they think the way they're living is the right way. You have to somehow open up their minds, open up their hearts to see that there's another way. So you just ask them by saying, well, what is it about your current living, living condition that you would like to change? Where is it that you see hmm. like problems and issues that around you? And then let's attack that. And once you begin to do that, you can begin to like open up their eyes to the point that, you know what, there's a another way of doing things. Violence isn't the answer. 
uh, joining gangs isn't the answer. There's other ways to do that, but you have to somehow open up their minds so that they could see that. Because if they don't see that, no matter how much you keep on talking to them, I mean, they're just not going to listen. And then you just can't go down there and just or go anywhere or tell anybody be, uh, uh, that, you know what, the way you're uh, living right now is, isn't correct. Because one thing I learned is that the people that believe that violence is a solution, they lie to themselves every day by telling themselves that, you know what, this gave me a whole lot of wealth, a whole lot of power. I was in control of a whole lot of situations. And like they, that's their whole identity. I mean, that's who they are. So if you take that from them without replacing it with something else, then then what do they truly have? Nothing. And so you have to somehow get them to begin to see, open up their minds by asking them, how could I help you? Not telling them what they need to do. Uh, amen is all I can say. Amen. So when you were in prison and violence was still a solution, what was the day that, I mean, I know you went to programs and stuff, but what was the day that you started shifting? So, you know, when you, started seeing that this was probably not the solution. What, what, do you have a, a moment when things started to shift? Mm. Man, I have thought about this question uh, uh, many past, uh, uh, many times in my life since I've been home. I can't put a like a year, a month, uh, a day or a week on it. But I will say this, uh, at some point during my incarcerated uh, during my incarceration, I told myself that I want to get out. I want to get out of prison. I didn't want to die in prison. And so I knew that I would have to then uh, stop being violent, uh, stop believing that violence was the answer. And I would have to, what we talked about earlier, I would have to work on those uh, passive violent things that I'd be doing because I, I wanted to get out of prison. I didn't want to die in prison. And that right there, I believe, I began to understand when I was incarcerated, uh, when I was incarcerated, is the biggest fear of a lot of incarcerated people. That if your bid isn't uh, structured in a way that's going to keep you in jail until you die, then you want to get out of prison. And so it was so. But then for me, it wasn't just getting out of prison. It was staying out of prison. Mm. So I said, all right, then. So once I get out of prison, then how am I going to stay out of prison? And so I believe that the turning point uh, was uh, it began to happen in like the 1990s. It began to happen. Uh, uh, I did end up going to uh, college in prison, got a bachelor's degree in liberal arts in prison. So I began to do some things. And I believe that it was one book that became a catalyst to me was the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm. And, and the one thing I took from that autobiography of Malcolm X is what Malcolm X did when he was incarcerated. He educated himself because he went to jail, let's say, uneducated. And then he educated himself through reading and writing and understanding words and all that. And, and then he found spirituality. And so those are some of the things uh, uh, I also done in prison. So then once I got released, I was confident that I could stay out of prison. So that right there was the key. So that turning point was just wanting to get out of prison and knowing and then just understanding that I just can't say I want to get out of prison. That right there, I got to do actions. I got to do stuff. 
it's so interesting though, but in that process, in that decision that this is not who I am prison. So you, you had a, like a, that prison is not who I am. You had a decision. You decided who you were. That's right. Right. So you had a shift in perception about who you were a deep, they call this a miracle in the course of miracles. It's oh, a sh- right. Yes. And it's called the shift in perception from fear to love. That's what a miracle is. Is So you had a shift in perception of who you were. And you not only did you see yourself out of prison, you saw yourself staying out of prison. And right. so who is that man that gets that not only leaves prison, mm-hmm. but who stays out? Who is that man? And obviously, I mean, look at who we're who I'm talking to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're, a, and I'll just, I'll just mirror back to you what I'm seeing. You're a highly educated, highly intelligent, highly spiritual, thoughtful, paradigm shifting individual. That's mm-hmm. who you are. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And you're changing the world. You know, you're going back into prisons and, mm-hmm. and as I like to say, showing people what's up, that's what's up. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what's up. This is the way. And like you said at the beginning of our conversation, nobody here is bad. Mm -hmm. People have made bad decisions. And I am among those people who have made very bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and so are you. That's right. And look at us now. We're talking about nonviolence, which is Mm -hmm. making a bad decision, I believe, is part of nonviolence is part of violence. Because if it was a good decision, it would have integrity, it would have truth, it would have love, it would have compassion. Right? right. That's right. I totally agree with that. Yes. So another thing I wanted to talk about in in the passive violence is the violence to ourselves, because that's that's the violent thoughts that we, you know, the violent thoughts, but also addiction, also... um, Negative, you know, negative self-talk. I mean, I think that's some of the worst violence that we're doing. And in prison, you know, it's just a repeating of what we've been told since we were children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any examples of of violence to yourself that you've overcome? Yes. So I do believe uh, uh, passive violence, how we uh, harm ourselves is uh, a form of passive violence also. So one of the things I first done when I uh, got incarcerated was I used to sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. And by a lot, I used, to say I used to sleep about like, I don't know, like about 16, 17 hours a day. You know, uh, get up and just uh, uh, eat, eat the uh, three meals a day and just go and just uh, lay back down. And so, yeah. And so that right there was a form of like passive uh, uh, violence. And it, because it was like, uh, and I was told by uh, other incarcerated people, even family members, that man, you can't sleep this bitter way. But I mean, in the back of my mind, I, I, I did. I really wanted to just sleep the bitter way. I just wanted to just wake up one time and be just let out of prison. So that right there is a form of uh, passive violence. And then, like, uh, not just uh, just doing things that are just uh, not productive in prison could be a form of like passive violence, like uh, not like exercising, not like mm-hmm. uh, 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 working out in some form, even just walking, not even trying to educate myself. So if I came into prison, 
didn't know how to read, then why would I have to, after spending like three or four or five years in prison, get released and still not know how to read? I mean, so it was just little things like that. Like, why am I just continuously harming myself uh, 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 in prison? I was put in a situation where uh, some of the responsibilities that I have that I had out there in the streets, I don't no longer have. So I could just focus on myself. So if I'm not focusing on myself, trying to make myself a better person so that I don't make the same decisions that I made that put me here once I get released, then I am kind of like uh, not giving myself the self-care, the self-love that I should. And maybe, like you said, negative thoughts. I'm believing that I don't deserve it. Maybe I deserve to be in prison. I'm stupid because I was always told I was stupid by my teachers, by my parents, mm. by my friends. Um, and so, yeah, if I'm constantly telling myself this, then, yeah, I won't do anything in prison. I will find myself just sleeping all day, laying in bed all day and just not just walking around the compound like a zombie and not doing anything. And then how is that beneficial to me? Because then one day they'd be like, hey, your bed is up, you're out. And now what? Like Rip Van Winkle, right? Yeah, yeah. All right now. Um, this is such a, you're right. Lack of self-care is violence to self. Mm -hmm. um, and I would also say possibly sleeping as much as you did, you could have been very depressed as well. Yes, I believe I was. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, yeah, I'm not a therapist, but that seems like a, um, a symptom of depression. And, you know, honestly, who, who can't be depressed while they're, you know, in a little room mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. food that uh, is, isn't fit for anybody. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's, you're just, you know, you're one of my favorite success stories. It's, you know, not only did you, you know, think your way out of prison, which is what you did, you educated yourself, you figured it out. You also worked with one of the, you know, most famous grandsons in the world. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, and and spread the the gospel of nonviolence. So mm. I want to talk about how the sixty the season of nonviolence, the sixty four days of nonviolence, um, came into the world because I know you were at least on the sidelines of it, but I think you were part of it. So please let us know. And ex please explain what that is as well. All right. Well, the season of nonviolence, uh, Arun and others, and uh, forgive me by not mentioning who the others were, uh, began the season of nonviolence in 1998. And Arun uh, said he'd done that because uh, it marked like uh, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of his grandfather in 1948. And then it also matched up with the 30-year anniversary of when King was assassinated in 1968. So that was the 64 days, January 30th to April 4th. So that's how the season of nonviolence. And then, he, you know, he put that together with the mindset, with the mindset that for these 64 days, uh, try to practice, think about, do compassionate, kind acts, all under the foundation of uh, uh, nonviolence. And if you never heard about nonviolence, use these uh, 64 days to begin to educate yourself on what is nonviolence by uh, reading about nonviolence uh, 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 leaders, uh, nonviolent campaigns, and so on and so forth. 
And so now, so that right there, so Ruin had already done that. So it was brought to my attention to seize the nonviolence while I was incarcerated. And so I was in uh, uh, in New York State, they call it like a medium uh, security prison. And uh, Arun Gandhi was uh, scheduled to come in and uh, give a talk. I don't even know what he was uh, going to talk about. Uh, prior to that, I had never uh, heard of Arun Gandhi's name. So I was like, mm. but then once I said, oh, Gandhi, he must be the grandson of uh, Mahatma Gandhi. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, so he is the one who started the season for nonviolence. I was like, all right. So I got with a very close friend of mine. We talked about that. We said, well, you know what? Prison is a violent environment. Why not do the season for nonviolence in prison? And, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, the just idea just came to me. It wasn't like, I don't know, it could have been a miracle. I'm not going to try to connect it to anything divine or anything like that. But it just, yeah, it just says, you know what? It's a violent environment. It's a season for nonviolence. I mean, let's, well, why, why can't we do this in prison? And so I, I went to like the executive team of the jail that I was incarcerated in and uh, they loved the idea. So then when Arun Gandhi came in, I met him for the first time and uh, told him that uh, we want to do the season for nonviolence here at uh Groveland Correctional Facility. And he was like, yes, I support you. The MK Gandhi Institute uh, uh, for Nonviolence in Rochester, New York was like, yeah, we support you. And so then uh, me, my good friend, uh, Jewels Presley, we started, we said, now how are we going to do this? How are we going to like formulate this? And we just, you know, sat down, came up with ideas that the foundation would be nonviolent. So we would just ask men to just write about like nonviolence. If it's a nonviolent leader or something like that, or you're understanding the nonviolence, why don't you write poetry about nonviolence, write poems about nonviolence, write songs about nonviolence. Why don't you draw pictures of nonviolence? And then let's try to raise money to like donate to like organizations out in the streets that are promoting uh, uh, nonviolence. And that's what we did. And we also took a nonviolent pledge, pledge that for these 64 days, you know, we will practice nonviolence. And then, I mean, the, the, the administration at Groveland was like all for it. I mean, there's like, yes, we was making copies of the pledge, giving the pledge to people. People were like signing the pledge. It's like, yeah, you know. And so, yeah, then it just expanded from there. And uh, each year we was able to uh, donate more money to like uh, organizations out in the streets. And then after I got released in uh, 2015, two years after that in 2017, I was asked to come back in the Groveland, the jail that I got released from, with Arun Gandhi uh, to talk about the season of nonviolence. And so some of the uh, men that I was uh, uh, incarcerated with were still there. So, I mean, it was like a, uh, they was like so happy uh, to see me come back in. And one of the things that they told me is like, listen, man, just stay out there in the streets. Because that's very encouraging and empowering to us uh, to know that you got released from jail. You're no longer in the belly of the beast and you out there in the streets. So uh, you staying out there means a lot to us. And then you even coming up in here, man. 
uh, after being released and talking to us about like nonviolence means a lot to us also. So yeah, so that's how I got started. So then it went from Groveland, then it went to Attica, then it went to Auburn, then it went to Wendy's. Women prisons in uh, uh, New York State was considering it. And so, yeah, it began to like spread. Wow. Uh, so I just want to tell you, we're in California, we have started uh, to bring the 64 days to the prisons there. And we've already done one round of it at Valley State Prison. And we mm -hmm. called it 66 days only because we found out that 66 days creates a habit. Mm, all right. um, it takes 66 days to form a habit. So um, we're going to go back to the 64 days, but we're going to add, we're going to tack on a couple more. Um, and I didn't know before I, we started this, I didn't know about you and I didn't know about Arun. Um, I just had, I had seen the season of violence and I thought, well, if this needs to happen in prison, of course. And then I started digging in and there you were, there you were in this TED talk. And I was like, oh, wow, they've done this. This is fantastic. Um, but before I even knew about the fundraising you had done and all the work you had done, when I brought this up to some of the guys, they said, well, there's a day for a men, so we have to do some fundraising. So mm -hmm. they're already right in your in your mind. They've, they've already started thinking the way you're thinking, which to me is such great... Um, such great confirmation about how important this work is. Um, one of the wardens, he heard that there were 585 guys that were signed up at the um, the first one. And he said, well, we're going to get 2000 guys signed up. So there's, um, you know, there's some, there's some real excitement bubbling. And one of the prisons wants to do a concert and, you know, and bring maybe, you know, people like, I don't know, famous people to come as well and if this if if this all happens when this all happens we'd like you to come for the for the day and speak as well if you would consider that all right yeah on on april 4th i'll be honored yes and we'll so we'll film it and then we'll we'll send um oh they also want to do a peace march at the end so everyone all the volunteers who will also have practices 64 days along with the men that have practiced the 64 days, we'll march around the yard together in solidarity for the two, you know, the two for Martin Luther King and for Gandhi who sacrificed their lives for nonviolence and for a better world. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I, uh, I also know that uh, Nevada uh, is considering the season for nonviolence also. So yeah, the season of nonviolence has spread uh, uh, within the like uh, prison system, and that's part of like uh, uh, Arun Gandhi's legacy. He always had like a uh, compassion for the incarcerated population because long before he moved to institute the uh, Rochester, New York, and Memphis, Tennessee, he used to go into the uh, prisons also and talk to the incarcerated population. He shared with the men uh, many times. He used to write incarcerated people on death row and all that. So, yeah, he had just a, a lot of compassion because he, like I said, he believed that uh, if the incarcerated uh, population began to embrace nonviolence, then they could turn their lives around. If they began to embrace 
truly embrace nonviolence, they could turn their lives around. Hence being that change, hence uh, building community, hence changing their world. Exactly. As Gandhi says, be the change you want to see in the world because- That's right, that's so, right. You know, sometimes I'll start my, this class I do, trauma to transformation class. It's a one-day workshop. And I'll ask everybody, what do they want to create today? What do they want to create? And I'd say about 60% of the people that I talk to, they say peace. And, mm -hmm. but every other person is some form of peace, you know, you know, joy or love or, you know, community. So what I really am coming to understand is that people in prison don't want to be violent. Yeah, that is, I, I truly believe that too. That is correct. They just have learned and have been programmed since they were born that violence is the solution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then to give them this opportunity of practicing nonviolence, you know, and I think this practice is a 365-day practice, but right. the we can jumpstart this whole thing on January 30th with, with as many prisons um, that we can enroll. And, you know, mm -hmm. I will... I will find a way to at least get your podcast to as many administrators there are and mm -hmm. see what we can do to, you know, this year is our first year, but let's, let's make this a staple in all the prisons, you know, in the world. I know we can get um, a prison in New Zealand to participate. So, yeah. you know, let's, and, and probably a couple in, um, in the UK. So we'll see what we can do there, but my focus is on California right now because um, that's just where that's where I live and that's where we're starting. But but this ripples out, right? Love and nonviolence ripples out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, uh, understandably, and I like what you said about uh, the sixty-four days and going beyond the sixty-four days because that's where we at now. We don't want anybody, uh, whether in the streets or in prison to just believe that is just 64 days. We want you to go beyond the 64 days. I mean, practice this like year round. So yes. One of the things you said in, in your Ted talk with Arun Gandhi, um, you said, I decided I didn't want to do violence anymore because when I gave violence and when I received violence, it hurt. Yeah. And um, that's the thing. I, I think what we do to others, we do to ourselves. And so the violence, even by being violent to others, we're being violent to ourselves. We can't not be. And mm -hmm. so, but on by flipping that, by being nonviolent to ourselves and being nonviolent to others, we're also being nonviolent or or caring to ourselves. Yes. Yes. And uh, I totally agree with that. I never thought about it like that. But uh, as far as like, well, we're nonviolent to others, we're being nonviolent to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you put that. Because that's something to uh, uh, think about also. And what I was uh, trying to point out uh, during that uh, TED Talk was that you know, when you are uh, violence hurts. I mean, when you get punched in the face, I mean, that hurts. Mm -hmm. I mean, and even when you punch somebody, that hurts. And so, I mean, and then just uh, uh, recognizing that, becoming aware that it's like, yeah, like, why am I uh, uh, hurting myself? 
by uh, uh, trying to hurt somebody else. But in the process, I'm hurting myself. Why am I hurting myself? And so, yeah, when you begin to think about things like that, it's like, is violence really the answer? Is violence really the solution? I mean, is hurting myself uh, really the solution? Is I mean, what am I gaining, gaining by hurting myself? And after you do that, after you've hurt somebody, you have to justify it in your mind, right? Yes. So you also have to lie to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like he deserved it. it. Sorry, what'd you say? To make it okay. Exactly. So the justification of violence mm -hmm. is another violent act. That's a more passive violence, but that's still, it still perpetuates it, right? So it's mm -hmm. because he deserved it. Nobody deserves ever to be hit, ever. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you could like flip a lot of things like that on his head by saying like uh, some of the uh, things that came uh, are our way or your way. Did you deserve it? Perfect. Exactly. Nobody ever deserved any whooping they've ever get gotten. Mm -hmm. Any any violence, uh, verbal violence directed at them. But we, you know, the thing is, I never want to blame the parents because those parents, our parents were violated, were, were raised with violence as well, and their parents and their parents. So this is a system of violence that we've, we've adapted and we've become part of. And you and I are now creating a system of nonviolence. Mm, mm, that's right. That's right. I so agree. I so agree with that. Yeah, systems of nonviolence. And um, I want to end with a, a question. Um, do you have any words of encouragement to the dear men and women that are living in prison? And, you know, and wrap it up with the 64 days of nonviolence. Encourage them to um, participate. But do you have any words words for them that um, they can they can chew on? Hmm. That is a good question. Uh, one of the things that uh, I learned when I was incarcerated is that there's never just one option. No matter what the situation is, there's never just one option. There's many, many, many options. And when you began to think that no matter what situation that I find myself in, I have options. I have other choices that I can make. Don't believe that you only have one choice because if you believe that you only have one choice and then that choice is usually the wrong choice. So just believe that no matter what situation that you find yourself in, uh, uh, you always have multiple, multiple choices and start uh, 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 making the choices that's going to not harm you first and foremost and not going to harm anybody else. And never forget that when you harm somebody else, you're harming yourself also. When you're hurting somebody else, you're hurting yourself also. And for the scene for nonviolence, uh, uh, one of the things I would say that there's 64 days to begin to uh, uh, practice it and uh, living nonviolently. So when, 
one of the things I like to do is let's let's say the first uh to start the whole uh, the whole season off is courage. It takes courage to be nonviolent. But then ask yourself, what is a courageous person to you? What do you consider a courageous person? And do you consider yourself courageous? And then after the 64 days is over, continue the practices that you started during the 64 days. Don't just give up. And one thing Arun Gandhi used to always uh, 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 say is that he was a peace farmer. And he used to share this story about this king who wanted to uh, understand the meaning of peace. So he asked all the wise men in, the, uh, uh, in his kingdom, what was the uh, uh, what's the meaning of peace? None of them really knew. So then this one traveler came through town, wise traveler, and uh, some of the people brought him before the king and, and, and told the king that he may have the answer to the king's question. The king asked him, listen, what is the meaning of peace? He said, I don't have the answer, but I know who may have the answer. It's this person that lives way up in the mountains that you have to travel to go see because he doesn't leave the mountains. But if you go up there and you see him and, and you ask him that question, he may be able to answer it for you. So the king got all of his men and he traveled up to see this person high up in the mountains. And when he got to the person, he asked him, what is the meaning of peace? And the, uh, and the wise person uh, uh, picked up a seed, placed the seed in the king's hand, closed the, uh, uh, closed the king's hand up, and then that was it. He didn't say anything. He, that's, that's all he did. So the king was like, don't find like, what does that mean? I mean, like, that's all you got? So then he left. He went, <laughs> he went back to his kingdom and he put that seed into a box and then stored it away. So then that wandering wise traveler came back through town again and uh, they brought him back before the king. And the king didn't want to seem like he was like unintelligent or idiot. And the traveler was like, so what did the wise man tell you? He said, well, he just gave me a seed and I just put it up. That's what he gave me. And, and what the wise traveler told the king is that, you know what? Uh, the meaning of that was that you were supposed to have shared that uh, seed with all the people around you shared it with all your kingdom because when you put things up like that all it's going to do is just die when you store it in that box it's going to just die and that's how Arun Gandhi used to explain nonviolence. so whatever you learn from for, uh, uh, from the 64 days of practicing and living nonviolence, you share that with others don't let that die within you by storing it away in the box and putting it up on the shelf. Share that with others. Let it mingle with the people that you talk to. Let it mingle with the environment and it'll begin to grow and deepen within you. And nonviolence will become the new system in our prison systems. That is so right, Fitz. That is so right. Ah. Well, Jonathan Jones, it's been an honor to speak with you and to know of the work that you're doing and the, the change that you're creating and the transformations that you're creating in the world. And um, I look forward 
to sharing with you what happens in our 64 days of nonviolence. And perhaps you can participate in some of it during, you know, we can do a check-in maybe in the middle of it all and we can uh, have another quick podcast or something because this is really important and it doesn't just doesn't just affect the people that are living in prison it, it affects their families and it affects our communities and our society and uh, so thank you for your wisdom and your your vision thank you fist for having me it's my honor to be here and uh talk about something that has profoundly transformed my life. And that's just studying and practicing nonviolence. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan Jones, for your wisdom and your vision of bringing nonviolence to prisons and communities throughout the United States. Um, speaking with you about nonviolence is so dear to my heart. Um, I've been on a journey to examine my own violence in the world, what I've done to others and what I've done to myself. And speaking with you is such a confirmation of the importance of bringing these principles to our daily lives. And thank you for helping us kick off this nonviolence um, 64 days, which begins on January 30th. And I hope all of our listeners inside prison and out will participate in these 64 days. And it could be as simple as just writing in your journal or writing a little essay or creating a poem or, you know, what day two is about smiling and what can we do to bring, you know, a better feeling to other people. Um, I think we talked about the systems of violence in our in our societies and in our communities and in our families. And we need to get under the hood of these systems and really bring these principles of nonviolence, compassion, forgiveness um, to all of the men and women in our society and especially to our children. Bringing up our children in a nonviolent world creates children that are creative and, and resourceful and pro-social and that's that's the world i want to live in and i know i know to all of us even though sometimes we don't think it's possible i know that this is the world that all of us want to live in and so um my call to action for today is visit our website learn about nonviolence, and take the nonviolence pledge spend 64 days with us uh practicing nonviolence. We'll be, um, we'll be bringing videos to you on a daily basis in, on our Instagram account and our YouTube account, but also on Edovo in prisons. So follow along and practice with us. And at the end of the 64 days, let's all get together and talk about what we learned about our own, our own violent tendencies and are also our nonviolent tendencies. And as Gandhi says, be the change you wanna see in the world. And I know, I know we want a nonviolent world. And as Gandhi says, it begins with us. So let's begin today and begin our nonviolent practices and see what happens. You know, action is the way. Action is the way to create change. 
and to, to activate the higher forces. So I look forward to continuing this conversation with, with this audience, this fantastic audience that, that we're, we're in front of, and to bringing nonviolence to this world. Thank you for your time, and I'll see you next time.